All right, Quinnies. <laughs> speaking of really tragic. Dude. Yeah, this one's a rough one. Leave the dog alone because the dog didn't do a damn thing, and now you're trying to feed him your body. Thou fluid. shalt kill all of your hands and a dog fish a tampon out of the garbage. It ain't right to bubble but you can pretend like you will. A dog. Wow. You can't trust your neighbor. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Straight Up Evil. My name is Jocelyn. I'm the brunette. We've got Katie. She's the redhead. Hello. And we have Carly. She's the blonde. Hiya. It's a stormy September evening. We're talking Sherry Rasmussen. I am so freaking excited to cover this case. It's a good one. Uh, yeah, I am so pumped to cover this case. Also, Sherry Rasmussen kind of sounds like Brown's Cherry Raz, the beer. It's, oh, I'm not going to lie. And it's so fun every to say time I keep trying to say Cherry Rasmussen. Oh, no. But that's not her name. It's no, just a it popular is, beer. That's and it's hilarious. fun to say her name, too. And it really is. It yeah. is. Like, love her name. So for those of you who don't know, Sherry Rasmussen was an American nurse who was found brutally murdered on February 24th, 1986, in the apartment that she shared with her husband, John Rutten, in Van Nuys, California, which is a suburb of L.A. Sherry's murder remained unsolved for 23 years following her death, despite a number of very frustrating clues and tips provided by her family and friends, which we're going to get into. Advances in DNA technology lead us to Sherry's killer, but we are left to wonder what would have happened if Sherry's case did not, at least for a period of time, meet the same fate as thousands of other unsolved murder cases that are just chalked up to gang activity that doesn't exist. So just like last week, Quinny. Yep. Lacey Peterson. Just all gang activity. Oh, yeah. So Sherry Rasmussen was born on February 2nd of 1957. Her parents are Nels and Loretta Rasmussen. But from a young age, Sherry was brilliant. She tested at an elevated IQ in grade school. She's always an exceptional student. She entered college when she was 16. I can't. So she's graduating from high school when most of us are freshmen in high school. Like genius. It's just totally, totally crazy. And on top of being super intelligent, she was stunningly beautiful. So she's this like tall, statuesque, dirty blonde, much like our Carly. Okay. Big blue (laughs) eyes, cheekbones, the whole thing. Total package. Sherry Scandinavian. Carly is British royalty. We know this, (laughs) but you get the point. Just stunning. So she's got it going on. Sherry's the total package, right? And because of this, she has a lot of men who are interested in her. Sure. She stays focused though. And she's specifically interested in critical care nursing. So this is her passion. And according to her family, 
she could have easily gone to medical school at the doctorate level with ease, become a surgeon, done anything like that. Her father actually was a dentist. So she could have gone into, you know, specialized medicine at the doctor level if she wanted very easily. But she chose nursing specifically because she wanted to work with critically injured patients. But doctors are more removed from the actual patient care that Sherry wanted to do. She wanted to interact with the patients. She wanted to be there to give them. Carly, <laughs> I know. I just saw a huge yeah. flash of light. I'm like, it's oh my God, it was like super loud. <laughs> yeah, it's getting loud over here too. Ooh, okay. It must be moving towards you, Quinny's. Yeah. So she graduates at the top of her class from Loma Linda University. And by the time she's in her late 20s, she is the director of nursing at Glendale Adventist Medical Center. She's teaching classes. She's giving presentations to other nurses. Can we just talk about how big of a deal this is? So crazy. Like Like, she is probably. She's She's a boss bitch. Completely. Yeah. Like she's probably 15 years younger than your average director of nursing. Like easily. Like Mm -hmm. when Sherry was 27, she met John Rutten, who was 25 at the time. They meet at a party in 1984. And John describes seeing Sherry for the first time and just being totally blown away. Right. And then, because she's gorgeous. And then he becomes even more impressed when she starts talking. Because she's so smart and she's so well spoken, Carly. It's a bad storm out I'm there. I'm sorry, like it really I'm is. Not, like a scaredy cat, but like it all of a sudden it's just like, oh shoot, it's whipping through right now. Yeah, like it's yeah, coming I told right. you. So okay, so they meet at a party. John's immediately impressed. Has to talk to her. Has to introduce himself to her. Now, all accounts say that John was very handsome. We've seen pictures. I've seen some pictures. He looks a little bit like Tom Cruise. We're not going to hold that against him. And it's like the hair that just falls, but like in a poofy way, it's not like styled. It's just like up and falling. Like it's just, yeah. yeah. They were a very beautiful couple. Yeah. Power Um, couple. Sherry and John have a lot in common, right? Super athletic. They're both runners. They're both into fitness. They love being outdoors. John and Sherry are married by November of 1985. So they meet in 84, married by November of 85. Their connection is immediate and undeniable. And this is fast by a lot of people's standards. Sure. Definitely things move quicker back then, right? There's stories yeah. of people in the 70s even getting married and barely knowing each other. Yeah. So this definitely. is, you know, this is not uncommon for the time, but it does speak to the depth of their relationship. And I hate to do this, Quinnies, but we have to call back to Chad Guy and Lolo. Oh my God. And Must Melanie we? Gibbs explaining, you know, there is, there's two people talking. You start to realize that you're not even in the room yeah. anymore <laughs> because they're just zoned in on each other. Like they are majorly connecting. It's just, that's how John and Sherry work. They had it. They were immediately connected and it just went fast from there. They met. And from the time that they met, they were together that. And it was not Sherry's fifth husband. Nope. Okay. (laughs) Just checking. Just checking. 
and they definitely hadn't been married in previous lives. Okay. Or Good if they know. were, they weren't talking know. about it. Sure. So, sure, sure. <laughs> so this is perfect, right? This sounds so cute. They're married right before the holidays in 1985. And then during the holidays, they're like blissful newlyweds. And they're like taking all the pictures at Christmas with the Aww. family and like, John has this great job at an engineering firm in LA. He's an electrical engineer. They live in this beautiful condo in Van Nuys. They both have really good jobs. Really good jobs. And they're young and happy and newlyweds. And it's great. It's a super happy time for them. And then we get to February 24th of 1986. Here we go. So this is a Monday. Sherry and John had gone out the previous night to go to the movie. (laughs) Mondays, man. Oh, man. You know, just when you think they're not going to ruin the week, (laughs) they just do every time. So just, just accept it. So this is a Monday. Sherry and John went out the previous night, went to the movies, and both John and Sherry had to work Monday morning. Okay, what did they see though? That's what I want. I could not find out what they saw. I know. Nine and a half weeks. Okay. Pretty in Pink. Hannah and her sisters. No, Pretty in Pink came out two days after. Sorry, we're going down the rabbit hole now. No, I have to know. (laughs) I know. Yeah, now I'm curious too. Let's see. We have Breeders, Invaders from Mars. Oh. Black Moon Rising, The Clan of the Cave Bear. (gasps) <gasps> I love that book. Back to the Future came out on that day, February 24th, what? 1986. Minnie's Back to the Future. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. So we have to stop talking about nice things and start talking about a horrible day. So they go to the movies the night before. They both probably have to saw work. Back to the Future. Probably saw Back to the Future. They both had to work that Monday morning. Now, Sherry is supposed to supervise an HR class that morning for other nurses, but she's thinking about calling in sick and staying home that day. She does not want to do it. And we don't really know why she doesn't want to do it. We know that she wasn't really sold on the value of the class for nurses. She kind of felt like it was a waste of time. She wasn't really doing them any favors. She just, and she's supervising, right? So she's not teaching the class. She's basically supervising that it's getting done. Because they probably go home late from the movies mm -hmm. on Sunday night. You know, Monday morning, that's the number one time you want to call out because, like, sometimes you just have your days too where you just don't want to do it, man. But, like, when I found this out, it made me so even more depressed about it. It's like if she had just gone to work, gone, you know? Yes, I know. So she, she's like, I'm probably not going in, probably going to call out. And John has to go to work. Sherry usually would be the first to leave for work, but John left for work that day at about 7.20 and Sherry was still in bed. So John drops off their laundry at the wash and fold and he's at his desk by 8 a.m. And he didn't call Sherry right away because he didn't want to wake her up if she did decide to go back to bed. And he called her around 10 a.m. and she didn't answer. And this made John believe that she eventually went to work. Um, you know, this is 1986. This is pre cell phones. So he just figured that she went to work. So he did notice that the phone's just ringing. The answering machine isn't turning on, which is totally abnormal 
but he just figured that Sherry forgot to turn it on. So for our younger listeners, an answering machine is basically like the voicemail box, right? People used to turn it off when they were home, when you would call their landline, and then turn it on when they left so that it could take a message. John and Sherry did this, but not on this day, because John tried to call her three or four more times and didn't get a response. Strange. Very strange. So after work, John goes and picks up the laundry that he dropped off in the morning. He goes to UPS. And when he arrives home, he pulls into the driveway and he notices that the garage behind their condo is open and the door was up. This garage is wide enough to fit both cars, but Sherry's silver BMW is gone, which is weird, right? Because if her car is gone, the garage would probably be shut. So John gets out and noticed that there's broken glass all over the pavement at the entrance of the garage. So a few weeks earlier, Sherry was backing out of the garage and she snapped her mirror off (laughs) and smashed it. And so he saw this and he was like, oh my God, like, what did she do? What did she do to the car this time? Right. She's frazzled. She probably smashed, you know, a window. I don't know. It's probably broke something. And now she's like frazzled and didn't shut the garage. Like that's what goes through his mind. So he gets the laundry out of the car. He carries it, carries it up and inside where he notices that the living room door is open. And at this point, he's very alarmed. So he enters and unfortunately he finds Sherry dead on the living room floor. She has been severely beaten. She's still in her bathrobe. the, The last thing that he saw her in, in the morning. And this is this, this is so sad, Quinny's. She was frozen in the process of trying to get up. So she had one arm raised and bent and one leg slightly raised and bent at the knee. So she's literally trying to get up and continue to fight for her life when she died. That just and like, didn't he find her at this point like rigor mortis was setting in or had mm-hmm. set in essentially? So like it's very clear that she has been there for a, for a, a significant period yeah. of time, Ugh, probably so while the while he was calling, while the right. phone was ringing. And detectives go on to find further clues that she really fought for her life significantly. And John also notices a black bullet hole through the center of her camisole that she had on right in the center of her chest. So John is in shock and he calls 911 and the detectives arrive and they immediately ascertain that there's been a fight inside of the condo. So there's a stereo speaker laying on the ground next to Sherry's head and the wires of the speaker have been ripped out of it. There's a gray vase smashed on the floor. A wooden display cabinet had items knocked over and the shelves toppled over. At the base of the stairs in the living room, these lead to the second floor and the bedrooms. There's a VCR and CD player that have been stacked on top of each other like somebody was going to take them, but just forgot. So there was also blood smeared on the walls and by the front door, both upstairs and downstairs. One of the back glass doors from the upstairs balcony was shattered. So this is the glass in the driveway. Mm -hmm. So that gives you a picture of the apartment. Above the garage is this balcony. So the glass has broken and fallen down into the driveway. Police find no sign of forced entry and detectives found a quilt in the living room that had a bullet hole in it with powder burns. So they immediately thought that this was used to silence the gunshot wound to Sherry's chest. They recovered two bullets from Sherry's body from a 38 caliber revolver. 
They find another bullet nearby, suggesting that it passed through her before it landed. So any one of these three shots would have been fatal. So we're dealing with an overkill situation Such already. Overkill, definitely. On yeah, top like you of can, that. You can sense that there is like some rage behind this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And on top of that, she's been beaten severely in the head and the face, probably with the broken gray vase, right? Because it's a super heavy object that's broken next to her. And there is a deep bite mark in her inner left forearm. I can't with the bite mark. So this is swabbed for saliva. Casts were taken for two samples. This is a huge clue in this yeah, case. It's, yeah. yeah, it's a bitch. It's a clue that it's a bitch. That's what it is. <laughs> a fucking dirty trifling a slimy Straight bitch. up bitch. Did it. <laughs> Ted Bundy bit people. He was a no. biter. He was no, a trifling a, bitch. Josh. Yeah, but it's a girl thing. I guess it's he was a, a yeah, trifling it, ass bitch. He was a trifling ass bitch. But yeah, it, no, it's more commonly associated and affiliated with women. Sure, it's true. But also like the face beating. Yeah, it ain't right. It it's ain't personal. Right. I it's think we're so getting that it's personal. personal. Very rage, rage, personal. Yeah, jealousy. Because Sherry had it all. She was awesome. Very quickly, the police turn up absolutely no suspects. Cool. Good job. So Sherry's car (laughs) is eventually found, right? But it's parked on the street in Van Nuys with the keys in the ignition and no damage done to it. However, detectives find fingerprints that don't belong to John or Sherry. They find a spot of blood and they find one single strand of brown hair. So the neighbors... Mm reported that, quote, two Latin men have been breaking into houses in the area. This is what a neighbor tells the police. Yeah, but like, Here wasn't we it not even really in the area at all? Nope. It was like in not a different, really. yeah, it was in a different spot and it wasn't mm-hmm. even really like a it wasn't big like thing. like that, you know, two houses down got hit or something. It was not like that. Detective Lyle shit. Mayer. Great name. Lyle he takes this report of this these men breaking into houses in the area extremely seriously and the case holds on to that theory for damn near 20 years because that's the theory that the original head detective decided to go with and he retired a couple years after this case happened mm-hmm. so we can't blame him that it stuck for as long as it did and i get it right we say this all the time believe people when they come forward with information but in this case i think you at least need something to back that up and there is no- absolutely nothing to back that up Nope. In Sherry's case, there's no uh, detectives start working on this theory and there's really it doesn't lead them anywhere. So it's worth noting that after this theory is the first time that John is really questioned by the police after they've already decided it's probably a burglary gone wrong. So they ask him if the marriage was OK. They ask him if they had any financial problems. John said no. They were extremely happy and money was good. And this can't be understated. John was absolutely destroyed by this happening. The guy could not handle what happened. He was completely devastated, like to the point where this may be why the police immediately started looking elsewhere because he was so 
devastated. Like it was just so obvious that this was the most out of the blue. He had absolutely no clue what was going on because we always say like the first person you need to question is the spouse. And a lot of time they don't even get there. So yeah, but at least they questioned them. Like it's true as far as other cases have gone, but one hundred percent and broken also over it. You know, the serious break, like the brokenness, like that is a really big like sign too. Yeah, because mm-hmm. that is also everybody has different reactions and everyone grieves differently. But we see more of like a thematic response to the husbands that are guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know what I do. mean. Yeah, and he did not have that. John Rutten right. was absolutely devastated Devastated, yeah for sure and so sherry's parents are notified on tuesday february 25th at their home in tucson arizona so they're at home they get the phone call and it's actually john's parents who call them oh i think there's a lot of confusion going on technically the next of kin is john to sherry because he is her husband right so technically the next of kin have been notified, sure. but John's right. parents take it upon themselves to contact Sherry's parents. Cause John is so overwhelmed with grief probably that he can't. And at first Nels is extremely pissed that John did not call him that this happened yesterday mm-hmm. and he's just finding out and it's completely understandable. Sure. But the problem is that John is literally incapable of communicating this at this time. I mean, the man is, he immediately went into severe shock. He was devastated. He couldn't do it. And this made Nell suspicious from the beginning. Like what the hell, why wouldn't you tell me that this happened? Why wouldn't you let us know right away? The first thing that Nels Rasmussen asks detective Mayer when he talks to him, have you looked into John's ex-girlfriend? Now, if your father-in-law knows about this fish, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Something made good. Made an impression. Yeah. So who is John's ex-girlfriend? Her name is Stephanie, and we will get into her shortly. But first, let's talk about where the investigation goes from here. So the police are developing this theory of burglary gone wrong. Obviously, there's a fight in the condo, and the police told Sherry's family that this fight could have lasted for up to an hour and a half. And the whole time, Nels is like, my daughter was fit and strong and very tenacious, but how the hell is she going to fight off two men for an, for that long, for an hour and a half? Like how, okay. And why did the police think that it's two men? Because they figured it had to be at least two men because each of the bullets at the crime scene are coming from different guns. Okay. So, I mean, I'll give you that Mm -hmm. for a singular suspect. Yeah. Right. But it doesn't automatically shut it down to just one scenario that doesn't automatically mean that it's just one thing right the police are working on the theory that sherry surprised the intruders because she was typically not home at that time no one was home at that time it was a monday they both should have been at work they're saying okay these intruders obviously believe that the house is going to be empty And Sherry's family is shown sketches of the quote Latin suspects reported by the neighbors. None of them look familiar. Her family is in Arizona even. Exactly. So how the hell would they even know? Sherry's case very quickly went cold and they start chalking it up to gang activity. You know, it could have been uh, uh, members of a gang who were just trying to 
steal electronics and pawn them and use them for money for what for whatever for drugs for whatever as we've said there's nothing really missing from the apartment right. the so there's no are sitting there like those would be the ticket items if they're looking for electronics and that yeah i'm in that time period you and know what stacked I mean? up on the stairwell is really looking like they're just set there yeah. for a reason to look like it was supposed to be taken. Right. Yes. Right. Yes. And what about the car? Yeah. She's got a beautiful silver BMW that's just left with no damage. Even the radio isn't even ripped out of it. Yeah. Like jewelry. Hello. You know, her wedding ring was on her finger, but nonetheless, her family does not give up, never gave up. Nels and Loretta put up $10,000 as a reward of their own money. And they start plugging the case on TV shows like Murder One, trying to ask people, do you have any information? Years start passing and the advances in DNA technology become part of the public knowledge. And Nels and Loretta actually contact the LAPD and offer to pay for DNA testing of the swabs from the crime scene themselves. LAPD completely declines, okay? So they know they have blood, they have hair, they have a bite mark, still no movement on Cherry's case whatsoever. It's really infuriating. And this happens a lot too. They mm -hmm. do this a lot. They have, they sit on this information and they don't want, they, because they've already made a decision on what they think it could be. They don't want to release the information in order to clear it. So fast forward to 2001, Quinny's. 15 years after this woman was brutally murdered. The LAPD forms their very first cold case homicide unit, 2001. This is where Jennifer Francis comes in. And this woman is the complete unsung hero of this case. Total and complete hero. Okay. She starts with the cold case unit in 2003. She's a criminalist, right? she starts looking into the Sherry Rasmussen case and she is, she's like, fuck this noise. She is so confused by what she finds. She sees, okay, I'm reading here. We have a swab of the bite mark on Sherry's arm, but she can't find the physical sample in the file. So she's like, okay, perhaps it was moved. She goes through the evidence logged never been signed out, never, never been moved, no record of the activity. It's just not there. The Bermuda Triangle of evidence. Again, Harley would like to offer to hold all of the evidence. Please, please. Her organizational skills would help. Or just stop losing the fucking evidence. You have one job. You have one job. Like you have a fucking seriously one singular job. Jennifer Francis took it upon herself to go to the coroner's evidence freezer of the LAPD and look through it for days by hand for this swab. How many people, how many people would actually take the time to say, well, I guess it just never came out of the evidence freezer and by hand for days search and look through things and move boxes alone by herself to figure this out. No. Okay. And honestly, first of all, no one would. And second of all, she doesn't even know for a fact that it could even be there. It might right. not even exist. You know, exactly. Right. Time, like just taking time out of her life and day. 
awesome. She's awesome. This is just a testament to getting your hands dirty. Sometimes also, it's a woman you gotta get in finally there. getting shit. Sometimes handling go it in there, yeah. elbow deep. And she finds a manila envelope in this freezer labeled Rasmussen. It has been in the freezer for so long that the evidence numbers on the outside are completely disintegrated. All she can make out is Rasmussen on the envelope. I can't. Okay. Wow. Inside, she opens it up. She finds two sealed tubes with the two swabs from the bite mark completely preserved, completely like she, she hits the jackpot. She found it. She completely found it. And it just really makes you wonder how much evidence is in the back of a coroner's freezer? Exactly saying, like, oh. how much is there that they don't know is there? Yeah. How much is and there that they know is there, but everything is disintegrated and, and you, you can't even see what it was to begin yeah. with? Oh. Exactly. And it makes you think about the person that actually had the audacity to take that envelope and throw it all the way in the Chuck back in and there. shove yes. some shit in front of it and probably try to hide it and to, to, so it won't be obvious. Because look at, she probably, she obviously had to search for that shit. She did. She spent yeah. days. Fine tooth comb. Just looking through it, being like, well, it's got to be here somewhere. And she was right. She sends the swabs for testing. She gets it back in early 2005. She runs the sample through CODIS, which is the National Law Enforcement Database, looking for anyone who is a known offender who could match the DNA profile, but she gets no hits. However, she's a criminalist and she looks at the DNA profile and she realizes that it's female. Hmm. Regardless of what she hits on in the database, she knows this is a female profile. So she goes back to the cold case homicide unit and says this female DNA profile completely obliterates the whole theory of the two male quote Latin burglars. So you should know that you're wrong. And you're lucky I found this shit. Nothing happened. The case stays cold for another four years after that. And we're going to, we're in closer to the end. We're going to get into why some people think that there is a definite cover up in this case. And, it, you know, at a certain point, you chalk it up to people being bad at their jobs, people being negligent, people shirking their duties, whatever you want to call it. But that one, when the criminalist comes in and says, Hey, I'm showing you that this is wrong. And then nothing radio silence yeah. for four mm-hmm. years. I, yeah, I don't fuck know. You. Nope, nope, I don't nope, know. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah. So by 2009 murders in Los Angeles are way less common than they were in 1986. I mean, way less common. There is much, much less for a homicide detective to do in LA than there was in the mid eighties. That's good. So it is good. (laughs) Jim Nuttall starts reviewing the Rasmussen case in 2009. And he sees this fabulous work done by Jennifer Francis, who documented it, by the way, and added it to the file. Nobody's listening to her. So she's just like, you know what? I'll just let this speak for itself. Here's the test that I ran. Here's the fact that I know it was female. I put it in the file and now I have done what I needed to do. What she could do. Yeah. Not all makes the same connection, but this time he does something about it. So he gets three other detectives, Robert Bubb, Bob Bubb. Bub. I think Bob Bub is the like best. the greatest name I've ever heard. Bob Bubb, Mark Martinez, and Pete Barba. The four of them start working the case. I'm sorry. Bob Bubb and Pete Barba. 
Mark Mark. Bop, bop. Mark, Mark Barba. Pete Barba. That's the <laughs> So they start reworking this case from the ground up and they come up with a completely different theory <gasps> than what has been in this case. Shocker. Why? I'm shocked. John and Sherry had that an alarm system, Quinnies. Did you know that? <laughs> a trifling bitch. Did you know it's a trifling ass bitch? Jennifer Francis comes in with the profile. It was a trifling ass bitch. <laughs> I have it right here. <laughs> it says right here. John yeah. and Sherry have an alarm system, Quinnies. Did you know that? Not mentioned in the original report. Not at all. But they had an alarm system. And so the front door is not forced open and the alarm is off. So they conclude immediately that Sherry was confronted upstairs, not in the living room. So real quick, because maybe I'm just being an idiot. If you have an alarm system, Mm -hmm. but you're home, like obviously John left, like would it then lock again and be on even though Sherry's home or my understanding is that it operates very much like the answering machine. When you leave, you turn it on. When Got you're it. home, you turn it off. Okay. Just one. So it's not sure. really meant for when you're right. there. Got it's it. meant for when you're gone. Okay. Just, I wanted, it's... okay. Just wanted to clarify. Sorry. So the alarm's off and the front door is not forced open. So they conclude that she was actually confronted upstairs. They think that the first shot that was fired was missed. It missed Sherry. That's what shatters the back door upstairs. Mm. They think Sherry ran downstairs probably to hit the panic button on the alarm system by the front door. Before she could do that, the intruder catches up with her and they fight viciously. They believe that Sherry got control of the intruder and actually had them in a headlock, which is where she's bit on the inside of the left arm. She's awesome. She's awesome. Awesome. She almost had him. I mean, she really, she almost had him. She, ugh. This is the point where the intruder grabs the vase and hits Sherry in the face with it. Hmm. That's enough to daze Sherry. And that's where she subsequently shot and died of internal bleeding. So instead of a botched burglary, the LAPD now sees this as a staged scene to make it look like a botched burglary. Quinny. And she had two oh. guns. And she probably had two guns because the first gun she probably lost in the struggle, like in the fight. Mm. And then that's probably where the second gun came in. She probably had two guns, probably. So they now believe yeah. that Sherry's been targeted. And during the review of the case, they come across the name of Stephanie Lazarus. And the note in the case file written by Detective Mayer says, John Rutten called, verified Stephanie Lazarus, P.O., was former girlfriend. They don't know what this means. They go to see John, who is pretty irritated to be talking (laughs) to them. And it's like, you have this information already. Why am I telling you this again? Now. Yeah, I, you have this. We've been over this. I don't think she had anything to do with it. Yes, she's my ex-girlfriend. I don't think she had anything to do it. He dismisses it out of hand. First of all, John. Mm-hmm. First of all, John. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think, John, uh, you know, this had to be really, really hard to see the person that you're really desperately in love with dead like that. And I think it really messed him up. And I can understand why he just was like, nope. Not possible. And like he couldn't think like someone could really do that to it. Mm-hmm. Like, exactly. That. How could you do that? Mm-hmm. Also, I would love to have seen 
Jennifer Francis's face if she had ever found out that they also had this information previously and snoozed on it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So fucking shout out to Jay Francis. Man. Jennifer Francis, yeah. dude. She is such a hero of this story. Really. She she just she made it happen. She, she made the whole thing happen. If they never found that bag in the freezer, if she no. didn't go through and, it and just spend takes one days detective. in the freezer. It just takes one good, like, dedicated detective. That like, cares, you know? Tenacious. Like, Seriously. Yep. It's true. Yep. And you have to wonder, like, whoever put that file in there, just like Katie's saying, in the back of a fucking... The, you know, it's hoping that nobody would find it. Yeah. They didn't count on a woman who said, mm, no, I'm just going to check and make sure. John also says that Nels, who's Sherry's dad, has always believed that Stephanie had something to do with this. And so Jim Nuttall and the team contact Nels, who is even more pissed than John and to be talking so. about this. He is he Nels Rasmussen has been talking about Stephanie Lazarus with respect to the murder of his daughter for 20 years. And now you want to ask me about it? He's incredulous. He's yeah. like, you like you have got to be kidding me. You've got to be kidding me. He's also incredibly upset because all this information that they're asking for is not in the file. And he's already given this information to the police and it's not in the file. So the right. problem is that it was given in 1986. It was never written down. There were Such audio bullshit. samples that there, there were all these things that were just completely missing from the file. So he's very upset that this information has been missing yeah. this whole time and rightfully so. So who is Stephanie Lazarus, Quinnies? We're going to start with Nels and what Nels knows of her. Sherry told Nels about Stephanie Lazarus many times. He can't recall her name in 1986 when he gives the police the initial interview, mm. but he keeps referring to her as the lady cop. So he said that Sherry told him that this woman had visited her apartment a few weeks before her wedding, completely unannounced. She's a brunette female police officer. She drops off a pair of skis and said that she wants John to wax them. No, no. Get the hell. Get the, the hell fuck? out of here. Get out. What would you Get do, Bernice? What would you do? Bye. I'd be shutting the door right on your face. I'd be like, go back to the nut house, sweetie. You're oh weeks away from your wedding. God. You have a million things to plan. You have all of these things going on. You're a successful director of nursing. Oh You're in no. a fantastic relationship. This woman shows up and says, oh, I'm just here to drop off some skis. Just wax my skis, please? Can you just wax my skis? Get the, get out. So I was what? wondering if you could just wax my skis for me. I would just, just like... light those skis right on fire, right in front of her and tell her. <laughs> <laughs> Let's wax some skis. Here's your wax skis for you. These skis got $300. Sherry is brilliant. Okay. She's not going to be taken for a fool. So she tells her dad, I think this lady is trying to start something with me. I think she's trying to provoke me into having a reaction. Right. So we've all, we've all seen this. Like someone does something so brazen and out of control and you just know, you're like, you're trying to get a rise out of me. Like yeah. you're trying to get me, you're trying to coax me into getting yeah. into some shit with you. Having totally. a, making a scene. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
you want to see my ugly side come the out. Audacity. The audacity. The audacity. You don't. Oh. You don't. And so Sherry is not going to give her the satisfaction. This is an incredibly her. intelligent woman. Wise beyond going, her years. Nope. Not totally. doing it. Not even. She does not give her anything. She gives her like a no old soul reaction. She just, nope, not doing it. After this woman left, Sherry and John have a bad argument. And this is weeks before they're getting married. And John is like, listen, I used to date Stephanie back in the day. There's nothing serious between us now. We were old friends before we ever started hooking up. Nothing was ever serious. And Sherry's like, cool. I don't care. I don't want you to wax her skis. Like, what the <laughs> fuck? Like, this is so weird. Yeah. What do you mean? Like, this is fucking weird, dude. And John <clears throat> refuses to stand up to this woman. Yeah, see, no. And mm-hmm. he told Sherry that it's really better to just placate her. Not nah, dude. And Sherry does not understand this. Yeah, it seems like he has, like, he feels sorry for her a little bit or something. Or, like, he, uh, maybe they ended on not the best terms or something, and he feels guilty about mm-hmm. maybe the way that it ended. Or, or maybe she also might have some dirt on him. And so he doesn't want to upset her yep. because she might come out with the dirt. So he's trying to be like, oh, just sweep it under the rug. Mm-hmm. She's just, you know what? Look at Quinny's face. I, I, <laughs> so, or he no, just dude. knows that she's fucking nuts. Crazy. But regardless the situation, like regardless of the timing, I, I would be just be having none of it. I would just mm-hmm. be having none of it. Like, no, but especially just a little few weeks before we are set to get married and you can't even stand up to this bitch in any capacity just to either shut it down nicely or tell her to, you know, get the hell out. You don't have the balls to do any of it. And you're yeah, going to be, be like, whatever you want. To me. That's a huge red flag to red me. Flag. That's a huge red flag. It's a he's, huge red he's flag. He's totally a victim. His wife was brutally murdered. I understand that. No, but I'm like about to but be like, your wife. Shut this shit down. You're and spineless. if you don't, right. Mm-hmm. And if you don't, like that's a red flag for that's sure. That's a huge red flag to me. Of course. And yeah. Sherry does not understand this at yeah. all. Like what is happening? But again, it's a few weeks before her wedding and she kind of has some other shit on her mind at this moment. So she's I'd just like, it. I would be pausing it. I totally get that. But I'm I mad think for her. <laughs> for like, in, and she's like, I find that really interesting. Like, I know yeah. she was close with her dad and her mom, but telling your dad about the problems that you're having with your prospective husband, like you got to be pretty upset. Oh yeah. Yeah, like you have to be pretty upset by what's going on. You so find she's, it significant enough to- So she's like not trying to, again, she's not trying to feed into the drama of the situation, but she's also like, I don't agree and I don't understand. And we're going to, we are not going to agree on this. So she shows up again, again, unannounced. No, no, no. Shocker. Shocker. And this time Sherry watches John give her the skis, which he waxed, by the way. Get out. And then this time, Sherry asked her to leave and told her that she was not welcome at her home. She made a simple declarative statement. I want you to leave and I do not want you to come back here. That's it. 
you know, she, and she could have said a lot of other things, but yeah. she just said, leave and don't come back. I waxed your skis with some skunk venom or whatever. <laughs> venom. I waxed your skis with <laughs> poison. Venom. Guess what? She showed up again. This time, this is the third unannounced visit to Sherry's home. Sherry, who owns the condo, by the way? The condo is in her name. Okay. So it's her home. That is. This time she shows up in her full police uniform armed with a gun. And this time she's intimidating for Mm -hmm. sure. Definitely. Regardless of the situation. And this time John's not home. And she says she was on a break and she wanted to know if John was there. And Sherry says he's not. And she leaves. Sherry confides in her dad, like dad, John's having an affair because in Sherry's mind, it's like, okay, is this a pattern? Like, Mm. I'm not home. She shows up just to see right. if he's like, there, why is just this to see re- if like- Why is this reoccurring over yeah. and over again? Like, this is the third time that she's shown up and been like, is John there? She's not like, good. is she stopping by to see if John's here or is she stopping by to see if I'm not home so that she can have sex with John? Like, mm-hmm. and Nels also said that Sherry was crying when she told this to him and she was not one to cry easily. Like, she's just not the type. So John continues to reassure Sherry that nothing's going on. Ignore her. She will go away. And it's about this time that she shows up at Sherry's job. So Nell said that Sherry told him that she burst into Sherry's office, bypassing Sherry's receptionist, just walking in. And she's dressed in a tube top and short shorts, like actively trying to look sexual. Oh, hell motherfucking no. Oh, my God. Sherry's at work now. Okay. Yeah. This and is... she told Sherry that she wanted to be with John. And if she can't have him, no one can. Sherry called security and had her escorted out, not engaging, not getting involved. Not, I am at work. I have no idea what this is about. I don't know who the hell you are. Security, please take this woman out if you're like protecting her reputation. I am not yeah. bringing this to work, like yeah. not doing it. At nope. this point, could she have like called Stephanie's supervisor, like the police station and be like, I need, you know, like she keeps mm-hmm. came to my job and like, what? Restraining order people like, oh my God. Sherry Rasmussen has the patience of a saint. Exactly. And the cool, calm, collected maturity level of, oh. of I'm not doing this. I am not engaging. This is the fourth time that this person has shown up. We're bordering on stalking now. Yeah, absolutely. So after Sherry was murdered, Nels tries to tell Detective Mayer all of this and explains that they need to question Stephanie. And he told Nels verbatim that he watched too many cop shows on TV. Lyle, get out of here. Get the hell right out. Also, Lyle, you have nothing else. You have literally nothing else to explore in this case. No other avenue. Mm -hmm. Every door has been shut in your face. You have no possible suspects. What would it have taken for them to have a conversation with her? Now, at this point, does he know that it's Stephanie police officer? So in the note, John Rutten confirmed Stephanie Lazarus, P.O., Detective verified Mayer ex-girlfriend didn't knew want it. to look into another police officer did not want it, it's very likely that he didn't want to look into another oh. officer stephanie lazarus met john rutten at ucla in 1978 
and by both of their accounts, they had a casual sexual relationship in college. This sexual relationship continued through 1984, up until John met Sherry. So Stephanie actually threw a surprise birthday party for John on his 25th birthday because she claimed that he was, that she was totally unaware that he was having any relationships with any other women. But that night he told her that he was seeing someone else. I'm sorry. I've never had a casual sexual relationship. Okay. I'll put it out there. I'm just married to my husband. And that was, it was the end. Do you throw a surprise birthday party for a dude that you're just casually hooking up with? No. Okay. Come Absolutely on. Absolutely not. No, very random as fuck. First of all, she's being weird. Second of all, how would he have not immediately known? Well, obviously she's has deeper feelings for me than I have for her because she threw me an entire surprise birthday party. Okay. So, all right. We'll give, I don't know five points to being in your early twenties and a fucking idiot. Like we'll, we'll give like some, you know, light credence to that. Um, but I think it's one of those situations where he is kind of blissfully unaware that this lady is in love with him and she's not also not coming out and saying it because she doesn't want to be like, I remember in the beginning of the pandemic, there was this meme that was like, maybe if I express my feelings to the virus, it will leave. (laughs) Yes. Like, I think she's afraid that she's going to frighten him. She doesn't want to get rejected. She doesn't want Mm -hmm. to be desperate. So she's just playing along like, oh yeah, la la la, it's casual, whatever. But in her mind, she's building up this like, but we're going to end up She's trying to get wiped up. Yep. So this is when Stephanie starts writing letters to John's family, namely his mother, um, talking about how heartbroken she was, how she didn't understand what he was doing with someone else. Quinny, would you like to speak to how fucking awkward it is when someone's ex talks to their parents and says, you know, I, I really should be the one who should be with him? But just don't do this. Don't ever do this. Yeah, it's it's a real red flag. (laughs) It's a real red flag. And the mom probably ain't going to be too fond of you. I'll I'll tell you that. But if you feel the need to try to get with someone through their family because it's not working any other way. Demented. Don't write a letter. Stop by the house. Have a conversation. If you really want to talk to these people, the letter writing campaign is just like very like Shakespearean. (laughs) I kind of imagine that she like wrote it with a quill or something, you know, like very dramatic. No, she sprayed that shit with perfume. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like there's like (laughs) nail clippings in there. (laughs) So don't write letters to your ex's parents, please, because it's just not, doesn't end well. It doesn't, it's not a good look for you. It's also 2021. So don't text them for, Mm -mm. you know, don't. Honestly, if you want to talk to them, have a conversation face-to-face. Do not do this like misinterpreted you know, dramatic something, you know, normal something. John admits that Stephanie showed up as she does, I guess, at John's apartment when Sherry was not home and tried to plead with him to get back together with her. This is shortly before the wedding. She then, according to both her and John, begged him to have sex with her just one more time. And he did. 
Oh, no, 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 John. No. Also, it's funny that you said that Stephanie asked him to get back together with her because they were never together. Mm -hmm. So that's interesting. So he did. But he did, though. Like, come on. He cheated on his future wife just a few weeks before they got married. And John maintains that this was the only time that he had sex with anyone else while he was with Sherry. And he says that he told Sherry. And, and then he still waxed her damn skis. He said that he told her. Yeah, I can't. And she was very upset, but they, their relationship endured. They Do you kept think going. that that's accurate? I have a hard time believing that she would just go on with her life without any explanation. Up and forgetting about that. Yeah. Like- so like if he said, listen, yeah. I fucked up. And I slept with her and it meant nothing. And that's why she's showing up here. And this is my fault. I could see her being like, okay, well, that makes more sense than just a random lady coming here and you're not having an ongoing affair. Right. You like, you know, you're 25 years old. But what do you you think that way? This also comes off to me as like, Oh, God, this is frustrating. It also comes off to me a little bit as like, it's almost like a cover up. Like that's just a cover up and that he's just saying that as like a side story to keep you distracted from what actually happened. And in fact, it almost makes him look guilty for the first time in my Mm. eyes. It makes him look like he could be, if he, that is just at least a hint Mm -hmm. for the first time. that points me in that direction like that he's trying to deflect i don't know if they were having an ongoing affair i can't say yes but i definitely can't say no right i just have a hard time thinking that sherry knew and still let him wax her skis and brush it off and not stand up to her in any way i think what's happened i think i think that the chain of events is like this okay he sleeps with Stephanie. She comes to the house. She says, I love you. I don't want you to get married. Please have sex with me one more time. He does. She takes that to mean that there's still a chance. She shows up and asks him to wax her skis. Jerry's like, what the fuck? He's like, no, no, no. I'll just, I'll take care of it. And it's fine. And I'll whatever. And he waxes them. And she's like, I don't understand why you keep doing this. And then Stephanie shows up again. And then Stephanie shows up at her, her job. And at that point, I think that's when Sherry is like, you need to tell me right now if you're having an affair. And John says, no, I'm not. But I did sleep with her. This is why I have been placating her. Got it. Because I fucked up and I'm really afraid that she's going to come to you and say I slept with him and ruin and ruin his life. Gotcha. That makes more sense. That's how I understand it to be going. But I don't fully understand the nature of the affair and whether it happened more than once. Sure. Yeah. And John maintains the that simple it fact that she's dead. She's yeah. dead. So she doesn't get to say yeah. what was really going on. And I think that that can also entail too that there was definitely like everything wasn't rainbows and puppy dogs like mm-hmm. he originally had said. Like there no. were definitely problems. And they were having problems. And who's to say that she wasn't more upset about that? Like, than we even mm-hmm. know. Absolutely. You know? And, if and she had notice, known, she did not tell her dad that. Exactly. That's right. Exactly what I was going to say. Right. If she's going to tell him everything else that she told him. Mm-hmm. I can see why you might not want to share that with sure. your father. Right. 
but it makes sense to me that she hits a breaking point and says, this is a deal breaker. What the hell is going on? And he says, okay, I have to tell you that I did something really stupid. That seems like a logical chain of events to me that this woman is showing up. She doesn't understand why and come to find out it's because he slept with her a month ago Mm -hmm. and she took it to mean something that it did not. John maintains that that's true. And again, John's wife was brutally murdered and John did not commit this crime. Mm -hmm. And John is very much a victim like the rest of Sherry's family. But I just don't understand yeah, we're not How trying to like kill his, out. you know, defame his, you know, reputation mm-hmm. or anything. Innocence. No one's perfect. No, you know what I mean. No, but I'm just saying that. Just there are some things that definitely aren't making him look too hot in those certain right. situations. It's really true. 100%. It's hard to understand why he behaves that way, and it gives mm-hmm. us more reasoning why Nels is so steadfastly look at the ex-girlfriend like this was a thing no one's talking about it you know why didn't he say anything about this before right you know what i mean he got all dismisses it out of hand was she had nothing to do with this there's no way Um, maybe it's just too horrible to consider like carly was saying like how could someone ever possibly and the way that she was savagely killed too makes you feel like perhaps it wasn't a woman i mean we know it's a woman but she's been beaten and shot repeatedly and you just don't sometimes in your mind you just don't conjoin those things but i agree it's sketch as hell it's completely sketch he does not bring that up that's that is pulled out of john after Mm -hmm. after a long time and stephanie as well so the, at the time that this case is being reinvestigated in 2009, Stephanie has been a detective with the LAPD for over 25 years, and she is currently working in the art theft department, and she is highly regarded and respected in the LAPD. It's not easy to investigate a detective. It would have been a lot easier to investigate her in 1986, but now it's very, very tricky. So there are several procedures and policies that you can't follow simply because you do not want that person to know that you're investigating them. You don't want them to have access to your investigative materials. You don't want them to be able to tamper with them. And everybody talks, police departments talk. And so this cannot get back to her that they are starting to see a link between her in this case. So they know that the best way to figure out surefire if she is involved is to get her DNA. So they want to start there. So they follow her to Costco and they watch her buy a soft drink and it has a straw and the, you know, plastic lid and whatever. And she drinks it and she throws it in the trash and they pull the cup out of the trash and test the straw for her DNA. It's pretty awesome. That is good. She has no idea that she's being followed. Two days later, they confirm that the DNA on the straw is the same profile as the bite mark on Sherry's arm. Nuts. Wow. I mean, this is 2009. This is, you know, this is uh, uh, 23 years after this murder. So that's not the only problem that Stephanie has because the day that Sherry was murdered, Stephanie was off work for the entire week and had no alibi whatsoever. (laughs) He's a police officer. Mm Mm-hmm. Couldn't even get an alibi. Stephanie also owned a 38 caliber revolver, which we already know was one of the guns used in the murder. 
and she reported it stolen out of her car just weeks following Sherry's death, and it was never recovered. So she owned the murder weapon, or at least one of them. And the police officers talk about when they're when they talk about this case, they're like officers have their weapon for when they're on duty, their weapon for when they're not and whatever other recreational firearms that they own, which sometimes are not documented. There's right. no record of them whatsoever. Right. So on June 6th of 2009, Stephanie Lazarus goes into work at the Parker Center, which is the administration building for the LAPD in downtown Los Angeles. She's approached by one of her colleagues, Dan Jeremillo. Yeramillo. I'm probably butchering that. And he says, Stephanie, do you have some time? I really need your help interrogating a suspect. And she jumps at the chance. She's just happy to help. And they did this for a couple of reasons, which are actually really smart. They're going to take her down into the basement jail under the guise of interrogating a suspect. If they do that, number one, as soon as you enter the jail, you have to surrender your weapon. So she's not going to be armed during this conversation. And they're going to take her gun away from her before she even knows what's going on. And They want to get her into an interrogation room and let her answer for herself before she knows what they know. It's pretty smart. It's like, it's pretty well thought out plan to get her to talk about this. The entirety of this interrogation is online and I highly encourage you to watch it or listen to it. Case file episode on Sherry Rasmussen plays the majority of it. It's fascinating. It is absolutely fascinating. Stephanie is happy and conversational for like an hour. Like she, if she's upset, she is not showing it at all for quite a while. So they start by asking, you know, do you know John Rutten? And she's like, oh, John Rutten? Yeah, like I know him from college. She admits that they had a casual sexual relationship and the detectives are like, okay, well, we, this, we have a couple questions for you about John's wife. And Stephanie says, quote, I may have met her. And she oh, keeps baby. giving this like really like aw shucks demeanor the whole time. She's like, aw, geez, aw shucks. Oh, it, you know, maybe it I reminds me of Bobby's sure. world. Like uh, the people yes. from Bobby's world. She's like, don't oh, know. yeah, I don't know. Geez, that was like a million years ago. Like all this really. It's odd. It's just really. It's, it's fucking sketch. It's fake. It's, it's shit. So fake. It's, it's just Trifling not. Ass bitch. Trifling. Great. You may have met her. Great. You go to their wedding. Do you remember her name? And she's like, no, I didn't go to the wedding. I think it was like Shelly or Sherry or Cheryl, maybe. And she said she knew that she, quote, got killed because she, quote, saw a poster at work. So Stephanie said that she called John's family when she found out about the murder because it was so tragic. She was concerned about them. She knew them from back in the day. She goes on to say that she asked John around this time, you know, prior to Sherry's murder, you know, why are you calling me all the time if you're dating her? And the detectives are like, you know, it okay, it kind of sounds like she's setting up a love triangle here. You know, Mm -hmm. did she ever talk to Sherry? Did she ever meet Sherry in person? And Stephanie's like, well, I may have gone to her and said, you know, hey, is he dating you? Because he's bothering me all the time. And she said- They're married, first of all, bish. Right, exactly. (laughs) Okay. And she said that if if she went to see her, it probably would have been at the hospital. So we know- that she rolled up on the hospital mm-hmm. in her little, in whatever you want to call the tube top and short shorts outfit. That's yeah. what I wear every time I go to the hospital. Of I know that. Course. 
<laughs> so the detectives keep pressing her. We were looking into this case. It's a cold case. You know, we went through the notes. We see your name. We recognize you. We wanted to give you the courtesy of asking you about this in private. People said that you guys had issues, like you had beef with each other. And Stephanie says, quote, I can't say. And so eventually Stephanie says, like, do I need to get a lawyer? Are you accusing me of this? And they say, listen, you're not under arrest. You can walk out at any time. You're here of your own free will. She doesn't leave. She's a police officer and she doesn't know if she needs a lawyer or not. It's very, again, it's that like all shucks, like yeah. that unassuming, like, yeah. oh, do I need a lawyer I don't, yeah, like, and it's weird because she goes on to be like, I've been doing this for a long time. I know what this is. Yeah. yeah she's but trying still to look asking. Innocent. She's yeah. trying to look innocent. And they asked her if she would submit a DNA sample, and she said maybe, but she would probably need to talk to a lawyer, which is smart, by the way. Not that we want her to exactly. do that, but, but it is smart. that's a smart response. She stands up abruptly and thanks them for the courtesy as she puts it, of letting her know that she was mentioned in this case file. And she gets out to the hallway before she's cuffed and arrested. <laughs> and she's charged with the first degree murder of Sherry Rasmussen. And she is convicted of that crime, found guilty in March of 2012. She was charged with first degree murder. In the victim impact statements at her sentencing, John actually spoke about just how much was lost when Sherry died. Like not just his wife and the future mother of his children, but arguably like the best caregiver and healthcare mind in her field at that time. Just like a, such a tragic, tragic, tragic loss. Stephanie has exhausted all of her appeals. And we do need to mention before we get into final thoughts, Quinny's, that Nels Rasmussen still maintains that there's evidence of a possible cover-up in this case. And according to Vanity Fair, there appears to have been a degree of institutional bias at work that was shocking and perhaps even criminal. The case record suggests that one or more persons during the initial investigation and continuing over the next 10 years were not only disinclined to consider that one of their own had murdered Sherry Rasmussen, but actively conspired to hide evidence that might have proved it. All of the records in the Rasmussen file pertaining to Nell's suspicions about the quote lady cop and the interview with John the day after the murder, where he discussed Lazarus with Detective Meyer, are still missing. The audio recordings and notes of every other interview in those first few days, standard operating procedure, there are none for the ones where Lazarus is specifically mentioned. These are conversations that both John and Nels remember. They were both interviewed independently without knowledge of what the other had said. There has never been an explanation provided for that missing evidence. Fucked so what the right fuck, Quinnies? What, what, what happened? How did this even happen? I'm sorry. It is 1 million percent cover up. Some, some went down. One some went down. Percent. This woman is not intelligent enough to have all of those things put into place and, and not have been found out on her own. She didn't even have a damn alibi. She didn't okay? even have an alibi. They didn't even check. She was not intelligent enough to not be caught for 23 years on her own accord. Okay, no. It was cool. covered up. Absolutely. For sure. And when that gun went missing, quote unquote, gun went missing the week after she didn't even report that to her own department. She reported it to Santa Monica. Yeah. Within days of this happening, she's already purposefully hiding shit from the LAPD, but not trying to distance herself. 
not yeah. in a smart way, but in a no. way that people could easily go, what the fuck? Why, yes. Stephanie? Like, exactly. why are you going to the other police department? Why don't you just tell us we're the ones who gave you the weapon? Exactly. Doesn't There's make just sense. too many things. And uh, honestly, Quinnies, I believe Sherry had her. She yeah, had she her. Close. She was yeah. close. And she's, yeah. she completely bit her, which surprised her and made her reel yes. back. And she grabbed that vase and she incapacitated her. Can you imagine what would have happened to Stephanie Lazarus had Sherry got control of her and got the police over there? Oh. That's the end for her that's the end of her career honestly i don't think she would have cared that she would have gotten caught she would have lost her career she would have obviously had a restraining order and all this other stuff i think she would have literally only cared that she came out as a psycho in front of john and now that's Mm. she's lost that bridge has been burned now officially you know he'll never speak to her again right so like who cares if she loses her job because she always doesn't care because she's a literal murderer she would have cared that she lost John's favor in any way. And what's think- so weird about that is that she gets married and has kids with someone else. So like, wouldn't you think that she would tr- at least like, if she was going to go through all of that, that yeah. she would at least try to maintain a relationship with him? Like I know right. on, on the computer that they searched, after she was found, like after she was charged with the murder, they found like some searches for his name in the mm-hmm. late nineties mm-hmm. and like some journal entries about him, but not nothing like particularly significant. But then again, she's a cop in the city yeah. that he lives in. So she knows where that, what he's doing, where, you know, totally. who he's with. And I don't know if John remarried, I'm, I'm assuming. I was going to ask, yeah. It's just weird that she wouldn't, that she would go through this and then not it's like, yeah, it's very weird that she wouldn't like be his, try to be his shoulder to cry on mm-hmm. and like eventually weasel her way back in even more. She was good enough to weasel her way in while to make John cheat on Sherry one last time. You know what I mean? I think she probably, I mean, do you think that she premeditated that particular day and planned it out? I can't figure out the day. Or did she just come by unannounced again John wasn't there and Sherry was like you got you could got to stop showing up like this I know that like she like the back door and like the gunshot and all that but like maybe she came in came to the front door Sherry was like get out or I'm gonna call the police you know I'm gonna call your person she's like okay I'll go I'll go I'll go and then goes around back and then it's like, no, I'm Stephanie Lazarus was very into locksmithing. This is another oh, thing okay. that comes up. She has a hobby of like lock picking. Get out of here. And so they believe that she got into that door and she surprised her upstairs. But how would she have known that Sherry wasn't going to be at work that day? That's the thing. So it's totally random that she decides to not go to work that day. She's got to be watching them. She's totally been watching them. Do we she's got to be stalking in that house before when they both weren't there? So he did remarry. He did get remarried. They don't say who the person is. Apparently also they hooked up again after Sherry died. That they ran into each other in like 1990. Yeah, there's some allegation, but John doesn't. Yeah, like who's that's not part of John's story. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's part of Stephanie's story. Who knows? They both have a reason to not be proud of what they did. 
Um, I think Stephanie had been in that house before. Oh yeah. Because she got in the door. Look at split. No problem. No sign of force. They weren't there being weird. Maybe she took some of John's touching shit. Yeah. Oh, I can't figure out the day. I can't figure out how she knew she had to have been watching them. But then again, she took the week off of work. Yeah. And you got to put in for that shit. You can't just call off the week. Yeah. No, no. no. She had to have known that this was the day that she was going to do it. It's just, or this week she was going to do it or she was going to try to catch her at a time. Because she's caught Sherry at home alone before in general. Yes. Knocking at the door. This time she's coming in. I'm sorry. She has a hobby of locksmithing. (laughs) Yeah. That's a thing that, that a lot of people bring up. It's like, you know, she loved locksmithing. Like doesn't have an alibi. She had the whole week off. She calls the other police department about her about her gun and she just happens to have a hobby in locksmithing and no one's gonna look at her and no one finds her for 23 years how could you just let this go for that long knowing that this information has been passed on to you by the victim's father and her husband the only other thing i can think of is that she didn't previously have the week off. It happened on Monday. And then she calls her supervisor, you know, and then they were like, okay, okay, no, no, no. Okay, we're not going to say anything about it. Take the week off. You're sick this week, whatever. And we'll figure it out from there. You know what I mean? Like that could seem feasible to me. I just really wish that I could have run into Stephanie Lazarus at 6 p.m. on that Monday and seen how fucking wrecked her face was. Yes. And how what a, how bad exactly. she got her ass Because she couldn't show her face at work. That's so, you're so right. No. She, she, she got, because she got the, she got her ass kicked. Exactly. Absolutely. And she had Sherry one person. Didn't have damn training like stephanie did either so good for sherry no she Uh just she fought fought hard but you just gotta wonder like would that paper trail of some capacity even though we know it's or we think at least i do that it was a cover-up in some capacity would that have been harder to cover up if there were more of that type of paper trail you know Mm -hmm. you can't make someone love you Unless you're a fucking psychopath or a sociopath and you hear us say this and you're like, okay, I'm about to go to this motherfucker's house right now. <laughs> you don't do it. Get the restraining order. Okay, Queenies. Okay, Queenies. Love you. Love you, Queenies. Love you, Queenies. Bye. Bye, Bye. Queenies. Bye. Listen to Straight Up Evil.